0: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. It is a beautiful Thursday afternoon here in Dublin. The sun is shining, the air is warm, I've got the window open, I can hear dogs barking, people mowing their lawns. I had a pretty good game of golf earlier this morning. Well, it was going very well until coming off the 12th hole at four over, which is not bad considering my handicap is around nine or 10. A fly, small little fly flew right into my eye and I had to sort of dig it out and it was was not great. Just wanted, you know, if you've got an insect in your eye, it's never good, never good. But when you, you know, bits of it come out and not good. And I remember thinking to myself, I hope this doesn't derail me. I hope this doesn't put me off my stride. And guess what happened? That's right. I played like an absolute twat for the next six holes. And went from four over to finishing 12 over, something like that. Which is, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting thing to consider. The psychology of, of sport. One minute you're going along, great guns. The next little idea gets in your head and then poof, you're fucked. Now... Are there parallels between that and Arsenal's season? Absolutely not. I just wanted to make it clear that flies are annoying little bastards, as if you didn't already know that. Anyway, welcome to the last arscast of the 2022-23 season. And that's kind of weird. I mean, it's not weird in the sense that the last arscast of the season takes place before the last game of the season. That happens every year. It just feels like... It's been no time since we were previewing the season ahead, wondering what were we going to be like? Would we improve? What was, what was the football going to hold? What were Arsenal going to deliver to us on the pitch, off the pitch and all the rest? I mean, in some ways, it feels like it was ages ago. In other ways, it feels like it was just yesterday and we've been through a fair bit. It has to be said a lot of highs. A lot of enjoyable moments, a lot of fun along the way, a lot of hope and optimism. And towards the end, not so much of that. Maybe you could say we got a a bit of a reality check that the progress we made while there and obvious wasn't enough to get us where we wanted to go in the end. And there are myriad reasons as to why it didn't happen. And of course, you have to take into account the frankly, ridiculous levels to which this Manchester City team can go in the second half of the season, pretty much every time. Not that I'm saying there's anything suspicious about it, but we knew that this is what they would be capable of. And unfortunately, we are not quite capable of that yet. But despite the fact that the last couple of weeks have been difficult, no two ways about it, Fairly disheartening, and I guess for some people that will put a a kind of a cloud over the season, like how you view the season as a whole, may well be informed by the way the season ended. Maybe if it had gone the other way, if we'd started a bit indifferently and then put together a real charge, finishing in second place, maybe some distance behind Man City, but also 10 or 13 points ahead of the team in... In third place, who appear to be gaining all kinds of plaudits and praise from critics and everything else, despite the fact we are 11 points ahead of them right now and could finish the season 14 points clear of third place... That would probably give people a different perspective on it. But, you know, that's not how it happened. It's all down to you and how you feel you need to make your own judgment and assessment on on this particular season. We are going to have a big discussion about this in our live event on Saturday night. Union Chapel with our good friends from the Arsenal Vision podcast. We'll thrash all this out as well, but we'll talk about that a little bit on this podcast too. There's been good news this week in terms of a contract renewal for a player who has been so good, so good for us all season. Another one of those where in the last few games, he didn't make a goal or provide an assist. And maybe that might make people think differently about Bukayo Saka's season. But honestly, I think he's been absolutely sensational. A key member of this team Uh, he plays all the time because he is so good he's the jewel in our academy crown and He has signed on for another four years, signed a big new deal, one that he has absolutely earned, and it's fantastic news. It's fantastic news. I know some people have some reservations about aspects of it, and we'll talk about that now in a moment as well, but for me, it's absolutely fantastic, and when you consider that we've also tied down Gabrielle this season, Gabrielle Martinelli, Aaron Ramsdale, this talk of a new deal for Marin Degard, talk of a new deal maybe for Ben White, and we hope of course, that we can get a deal for William Saliba across the line, one that might be slightly complicated by the injury issues that he's experiencing at this moment in time. You know, the future augurs well when you can tie down your best players. But Saka isn't just one of Arsenal's best players. He's one of England's best players. He's one of the best young players in Europe, and he's going to be with us for the foreseeable future, and that can only be good news. We will talk about him momentarily with our guest as well as looking into what the club need to do this summer in the transfer market. Mikel Arteta spoke about the need for intelligence and ruthlessness. What does he mean by those things? We'll explore that with all the other bits and bobs that are going on this week. And it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show from Football London. It's Kaya Kainak. Hi, Kaya. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. I'm not too bad. I think the place we have to start today after a you know difficult couple of weeks, we have to start with the good news. And the good news, of course, this week is that Arsenal are launching a brand new kit. No, I'm kidding. It's the fact that Bakayo Saka has signed a new contract with the club. It's not one of those where I think too many people were overly worried that it wouldn't happen. It's just the longer things go on, the longer it doesn't happen, the more you start to get a few worries here and there. I think you know most people were were pretty confident given his connection with the club and everything else, but nice to get it done and dusted um, you know after what has been a, a really good season from from Bacayo.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if it had been that yellow kit, which seems to be doing the rounds as the the leaked away kit, I think maybe we wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to describe it as a a piece of good news because that is a that is a shocker that's coming next season. That yeah. is not a nice piece. We're, of... we're going
0: to have to dedicate whole podcasts, whole podcast <laughs> series to like what the fuck were they thinking with that? <laughs> yeah, some sort of exclusive into the Adidas sort of design studio.
1: I think that would make a good article. But, <laughs> a yeah, lot, a lot of drunk people sitting around by the yes. It. Well, you can tell by the waves <laughs> on it for sure. Uh, yeah, but the, the Saka Saka contract is is great news for Arsenal. There's no other way to spin it. I mean, like you say, it's not really a surprise. I think as far back as before the World Cup, Arteta was saying stuff like, We're confident that it can be done. And I think Saka was asked in a mix zone after a game. I can't remember which game it was. And he basically said, Yes, I share that confidence when, you know, it was one mm. of them where he'd clearly been told, Don't say, I'm gonna sign, because that obviously affects the negotiation hand, but I think it was a couple of months ago that the, the sort of the, the stories came out that it had been agreed more or less. And they were just sort of dotting the I's, crossing the T's, that kind of thing. And I think they were syncing up all the, uh, all the promotion stuff. And that's gone down very well. Enjoyed the interview with Ian Wright and all those kind of yes. things. They were really good. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's good for Arsenal to be tying down their their best young talent. And you look back in the past when obviously that was a big problem and, Players like Cesc, Fabregas, players like Samir Nasri. I know people have differing opinions on them now, but losing talent was a massive issue for Arsenal. And it's, it's, you know, you you say this with great awareness that the William Saliba contract is still being negotiated at this point in time. But it does seem like they've they've really turned that around, and it seems like that's not really so much of an issue. Retaining talent doesn't seem to be as much of an issue for Arsenal, particularly with players. That they want, so yeah, Saka is obviously a player who is approaching the prime years of his career, and that's the most exciting thing about him is he's he's not reached his peak yet. He's still only 21. He's he's you know he's very very young. I think people forget that when they sort mm. of judge him as a player, but he's he's got so much more to give. And uh, yeah, I've seen some some I think maybe ill thought out takes suggesting that um, the the amount of money he's being given might be a a problem or might see him a sort of um, I guess not sustain the levels he's on. I, I totally disagree with that. I think he strikes me as a guy who is well-placed, and I think you said this in that interview with Ian Wright, well-placed to to go on because he's got all the sort of the, the right conditions around him. You know, if, if, if Saka was in a lab, he's got all the perfect uh, conditions to create exactly the right kind of person that Arsenal want and exactly the right kind of player that Arsenal want as well. So all positive, all positive, as much as you might try and find a negative. I don't know why you'd want to find a negative in that, but it's all positive news for Arsenal. Yeah, well,
0: I mean, that's that's human nature. People will, will try and do that. I mean, you touched on a couple of things there. One was like, you, you're saying he's uh, He's approaching his peak, but he, you know, he's twenty one. A player of his caliber, you know, could peak mid twenties, and and that's still a long way away. Uh, so it does really put in context just how incredibly well and quickly he has developed. You know, from a young player who made his breakthrough to you know potentially on on paper maybe Arsenal's most important player. Um, so that's been that's been part and parcel of this. The other part, I think, is the the fact that he has earned whatever he's getting in this contract, he has earned it. And I know I've seen some really iffy takes on the money side of things, which is, you know, normal. I've seen people suggest that, you know, it it might go the same way as as other players who've been handed big contracts who maybe you could draw a line between um, a diminished performance and the big contract that they got. Uh, I think it's very different when a player is 21 – and also uh you know in comparison to a player who's in their late 20s or or early 30s getting that kind of money you know the 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 figure of nearly 300,000 pounds a week it's a huge figure of course but but that's a figure that isn't just his basic salary that's not going to be what he takes home every week right it's the uh, image rights, there's bonuses, there's incentives, there's all of those kinds of things which could take it to £290,000 £300,000 a week and I can guarantee you, if Bakayo Saka is taking home three hundred grand a week every single week, there will not be an Arsenal fan who is unhappy about that because individually he will be performing and collectively the team will be performing as well so these things are built into contracts, you know it, it rounds it out to this nice big figure it could be worth £15 million a year it'll probably come in less than that. But if it is 15 million pounds a year, it means he's scoring, he's assisting, we're winning things that, you know, the team is achieving. So, you know, from my perspective, if he takes home all of that money at the end of the year, well then fair fucking play. And I'm going to be delighted for him and delighted for us as Arsenal fans.
1: Yeah. And also for Saka, it's about earning what he's worth, isn't it? If you look across the league, the best players in the league are paid this amount of money. And Bukayo Saka, regardless of his age, is the best player in the league it's not his fault he's become the best player in the league one of the best players in the league age 21 yeah you know it, when it comes to that the, the age is kind of irrelevant and no one would have any sort of i think issues or qualms with the, the salary if it was if he got this contract to age 25 so why should it matter that really that he's getting mm. age 21 he's kicked on to this level that i think a lot of us hoped he would reach when we first saw him coming into the team and we saw the talent that he had and I think it's it's only really maybe this season and towards the end of last season where the rest of the premier league and the england team and all those kind of people have started to wake up to just how good a player and how consistently good a player he is Mm -hmm. but yeah i'd like you say i think if if he's earning that money it means that something's going right from an arsenal perspective and i think that's really important and fundamentally, if you want to have the best talent in the world and in the league, which is what Arsenal want, it's what Mikel Arteta wants to be able to bridge that gap to Manchester City, Mm. you have to pay the best wages and the best uh, those kind of salaries in the world. So that's just the way of it. I don't think anyone should be getting too caught up. I get why there's maybe a bit of scarring from the past with previous contracts, high-profile contracts that maybe haven't worked out the way Arsenal would have wanted. But like you were saying before, I get no sense with Bukayo Saka that he will go down that path. I get no sense that he's done or satisfied with what he's achieved in his career. So far, he's, he's constantly talking about the next step, trying to get better trying to improve on certain things and as good a player as he is there are things he can improve and if you want to be considered the world's best which is what he does you probably need to be getting maybe even double the goals he's getting at the minute and that'll be a target that he's, he's definitely looking at for the coming season so there's so much more to come from Saka and I think he's, he's earned the money he's on and Arsenal are smart to pay it
0: in my opinion No I agree they have to benchmark him against the best players in the in the Premier League and I think you know you can go into that negotiation and say look we're not Manchester City, we can't dig as deep as they can. We're not as foolish as Chelsea or Manchester United when it comes to handing out big money to players who don't necessarily deserve it. But those things, those players who are, let's say, Saka's peers in the England squad, his teammates in the England squad, you know, you you do have to recognise that in order to keep the best talent, you have to keep them happy on the pitch. Off the pitch and financially as well, and that is going to be part of the challenge that that the club have to deal with when um, you know when things improve, when things get better, and you attract better players and better talent. That what Arsenal have done, let's say, in the last couple of years with the wage bill, is to sort of trim all the fat off it in order to build a team where the wage bill is going to be. Increased, It's going to get bigger and bigger if your team keeps getting better and better because how do you improve? When you get to a certain level, how do you improve? You know, you can easily improve from small uh, margins or from big margins, you know, like to go from eighth to fifth or from, you know, eighth to second, you know, you, you can manage that. But to get those small margins of improvement requires big investment in in transfer fees and big investment in wages because ultimately it does come down to, your wage bill, I mentioned this on the pod last week or the week before, like Man City's wage bill is about £125 million more than Arsenal's, which is the equivalent of 12 players on £200,000 a week. I'm not saying that's what they've got, but that's financially what they can invest in their squad ahead of ahead of this current Arsenal squad. It goes some way to to explaining the the gap that still exists, even if it's got a bit closer this season. And and that's something that we're going to have to recognize as fans is like, like, I think there was like, Oh, thank goodness. We've got rid of these high earners. Now we can sort of stabilize, but we kind of have to go back the other way a bit as well.
1: Yeah. And I think, I've seen a lot of people comparing this season for Arsenal to the Leicester season, the 15-16 season when Leicester came out of nowhere and and won the league and now it looks like they're in a position where they may well get relegated this season and you know, by no stretch of the imagination am I saying anything similar will happen to Arsenal but mm. the reason I've always thought that comparison was flawed is because this Arsenal team A, is young enough to to keep getting better but B, uh, I think, has the the understanding and the financial muscle to be able to sustain it. And if you want to be able to make sure that this season isn't a flash in the pan, if you want to make sure this season is sustained upward development, then you need to be able to hold on to your best players. And that's something that teams in the past have struggled doing, especially when completing, competing sorry with sides like Manchester City who have goodness knows how much wealth um, that they're able to throw at things and realistically the ability to sign pretty much any player in the world they want. If you're going to do that, you have to make sure you're holding on to your best players, which is why I think, you know, I've got no issue with Gabriel Martinelli earning the money that he's on or Bukayo Saka earning the money he's on because like you say, Arsenal have done this in a clever way where a couple of years ago they cleared off the uh, lots of, lots of um, big earners. They replaced them with younger, hungrier players on smaller wages for transfer fees that maybe some people thought were a bit excessive, but now they proved to be very fair uh, fees that were paid. And now they're in a position where they have that room to stretch their legs if you like, to a bit of breathing space to now go forward and say, look, we can give you this. Here's what we have to offer over to you. Do you want to stay? And nine, t- nine times out of 10 at the minute, it seems like the players do want to stay. And Arteta's is obviously a big part of that. He's a fantastic coach and the players love him and they buy into his methods. And I think if you speak to a lot of them, they enjoy the, maybe the quirkier side of things that we've seen in that All or Nothing documentary or those stories about the olive tree and win the dog and all that stuff from last week. <laughs> They buy into it. And, I, you know, if, if you're a young professional and you can choose pretty much any team in the world uh, to go to and improve yourself as a player, um, as much as it's about winning things for players, it's also about bettering themselves and... I think working under coaches like Arteta, where you can continue to be paid at what is probably the going rate across the Premier League, it's kind of the dream scenario for Mm. for most Premier League players and most players around the world. So, yeah, I think Arsenal have been pretty smart in the sense that they've understood that to keep this going and to to keep building and to keep being as good as they have been and to get even better, they need to retain their talent and they need to, to... recompensate them
0: for what they've been doing on the pitch for sure and I think you know a couple of things occur to me one is that this is a negotiation that could have been more complicated if Arsenal didn't have the season that they had where you're fighting for the title and we know we we fell short and we understand the reasons why Um, the solutions are, are probably easier said than done but we all kind of know but throughout this season there's been a feel good factor around the club about the way the team has performed about where we're going so when you do want to retain these players being good sounds obvious, but it really is It really is a big help. The other thing that occurs to me is that, you know, when you think about what you want to do in the transfer market, when you think about how you want to improve, it sends a powerful message to other players, to other clubs, to the football world, people looking in general, when you do tie down Gabrielle Martinelli, when you do tie down Bakayo Saka, hopefully when they do tie down William Saliba and Martin Odegaard again, and they've got Aaron Ramsdale and they've got Gabrielle to sign a new deal. And, and, you know, this demonstrates, I think, a, a seriousness about the way the club is operating, but also from within, if you're, as you say, if you're a player out there and you're looking around this summer and you're good enough You know, to be on Arsenal's radar, it must be a very attractive proposition when you see someone like Saka, who is, you know, possibly uh, one of the best young players in Europe. You know, in the top three or four or five young players in Europe at this point, he's committing his future to Arsenal. You know, he's not just doing it because he is an Arsenal lad and he's grown up with the club and he's got an affection for it and everything else. Like if he didn't, as he said in, in his interview afterwards, he said, it's about achieving my personal ambitions. Um, and he feels like, you know, this is the right place for him to be in order to do that. You know, I think when you're Edu or Mikel Arteta and there's a phone call to be made to a player and you're saying, look, look at this guy, he wants to be with us. Why wouldn't you want to come and join us? I think it does send that, that message.
1: Yeah, reputation is massive in football. Yeah, and for for years, Arsenal have had a reputation of of being a team where you almost you're you're on a stepping stone to achieving something greater. It's not the final destination, if you like. So I mentioned Cesc, I mentioned Nasri earlier. We can all think of countless players: Van Persie, Toure, Adebayor, The list goes on and on. Uh, who felt that Arsenal wasn't the end point of their careers, and that was Arsenal's reputation for a very long time. And it's something that is going to take them. It has taken them a while to to get over, and there was always, I think, a sort of a, a mood amongst Arsenal fans, especially before maybe the the money in the Premier League became as as, as great as it is. That sort of you can't risk getting too attached to a, a really good player because eventually they they might move on, and that doesn't seem to be as big a problem. And if you look at it um, from a perspective of like you say, tying down the the young players' talents, but also reputation is is massive in the sense that you look at other teams who might be considering maybe making an offer for an Arsenal player. They might now think, well, you know, why why even bother? Because he's he's locked down at Arsenal. He's he's staying there. He's he's there for the long haul. And mm. before, I think there was a reputation that oh, Arsenal talents will eventually leave. We can go and get them. A bit like I don't know. Uh, I guess what Borussia Dortmund have whenever they get a good player, you assume that eventually they'll move on from Borussia Dortmund. I think there was a similar vibe around Arsenal and that is that is changing and that's big and those reputations don't just exist in those sense so Arsenal have stereotypes they still need to move on from negative stereotypes uh, one that springs to mind is is the sales side of things so being a soft touch when it comes to being able to get high fees for players in the transfer market I think that's something that this summer they're going to have to prove that they're no longer that and they're going to have to prove that they're able of able to sorry extract good value for players but when it comes to the the reputation and the stereotype around Arsenal of being able to hold on to their best talent They're slowly turning that in their favour. And to be honest, I think they have turned it in their favour now. I think it's pretty much done. And you think back to these contract negotiations since Eddie's been in charge, and I can't really think of one that hasn't gone the way Arsenal wanted. Even with Aubameyang, Arsenal wanted to keep him and he ended up staying. I know it didn't work out the way everyone Mm. wanted, but that's what Arsenal wanted from the situation. I can't really think of too many situations where... Arsenal haven't got what they wanted from one of these negotiations, even at times when it's looked like things are really heading in the opposite direction. I think of Enketia, Balogun, lots of other situations where it looked like it was going the other way. And yeah, big credit to Eddie for that
0: because that's not an easy thing to shift. And I think he's, he's done that pretty well. I think that's very fair. You brought up the... The point of sales so we might as well go there while we're talking about it a few other things to to talk to you about but this is really going to be the the big summer for for edu and richard garlic and the team who are looking for new homes for players um i saw cedric today saying he's ready to stay and fight for his place which you know he may well be interested in, but he might also um, be interested in one of those deals that Arsenal have done in the past where an older player on big wages who isn't necessarily part and parcel of the squad is incentivized to leave. And there are a couple of others as well. When when Edu, I think you were uh, part of that interview team that, that spoke to him last summer, and he was very, very forthright about how difficult it is When you've got a player who's 26, he's not performing, he's living in London, he's on big wages, you can't sell them. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's basically what he said, right? That was the gist of it, yeah. That was the gist of it, which, you know, in some ways, you respect the honesty. In other ways, if you are actually trying to sell them, it's a bit self-defeating to make it quite as public as it is. There are a couple of players like that this summer. You think about Nicolas Pepe, who's got to come back. They've got to find somewhere for Nicolas Pepe, but... You know, when you look at the players who are potentially going to go or or are being linked with departures, Kieran Tierney, Rob Holding, Granite Jack, Thomas Partey linked with Italy this week, Flo Balagoon, Charlie Patino, Nuno Tavares, maybe not quite as as simple, but because of his age, he and Albert Sambi Laconga, you know, might be easier to, to shift or or to find good deals. Um, whether it's a loan with an option or an obligation, that, that kind of a thing, this is going to be where people are going are going to apply a fair amount of scrutiny when it comes to Arsenal's transfer business. Because I think you're right. With retention, I think people will be confident. With recruitment, I think people will be pretty confident based on what what the club have done in the last two years. It's how well we can sell and how well or how important the funds generated from those sales might be for maybe an extra little bit of recruitment that goes beyond the budget that Arsenal are are currently working with right now?
1: Yeah, I think it's important, firstly, to point out that Arsenal's long-term aim when it comes to the finances of things is to eventually get back to that self-sustaining model that they had and that was so widely talked about when I think the Cronkies weren't necessarily the the majority shareholders that they are now. And that's not been thrown out the window by any stretch of the imagination, but they've been more aggressive with their spending and they've been willing to spend more in the transfer market over the past three summers. And I think that's obviously helped the team get to where they are now. But in the long run, the aim is to get back to you know regular Champions League football, selling players as well as bringing players in. Like we say, retaining players, signing someone on a 200 grand a week contract is a lot cheaper than going out and spending 70 million on the 200 grand a week player. So sure. those kind of things, that is the, the long-term aim for Arsenal when it comes to finances. And that's what they'll be looking to do. And yes, I, I did sympathize with Eddie's point last summer when he spoke to us in America and he was saying, it's very difficult to get value for players uh, when they're in the final years of their contract. But I do think to an extent that, like you're sort of saying, you make a rod for your own back. So I think of, for example, uh, someone like a Hector Bellerin who Arsenal ended up terminating his contract last summer. That There was, there was money on the – it felt like there was money left on the table when it sure. came to Bellerin. Yeah, because I agree, yeah, yeah. As much as he'd had his injury problems and he wasn't first choice at Arsenal by any stretch of the imagination and he was on big wages, he's still a Spanish international. He's still a good player. He's still – Someone who can offer a lot to a lot of teams and Arsenal ended up terminating the contract because of the situation they got themselves into. And we spoke about reputation before, and I think that is a big part of it. And they're going to try and move on from that this summer. Another point that Edu did make though, when we pushed him on that, and how long is this going to carry on for basically? His retort to that was, well, how many players like that do you see in the squad anymore? And if you look across the squad, you mentioned Pepe. You mentioned Cedric. There's not too many beyond that who yeah. are on those big money contracts who are in the final year or two years of their of their deals. Instead, when you look at the sales now, Arsenal have a bit more of a, a stronger a stronger hand when it comes to the negotiating table. So, someone like a Nuno for example, two years left on his deal, has had a, a up and down spell in Marseille to sort of to, to put it mildly but <laughs> there's definitely a talented player in there and you know there was lots of interesting teams in the premier league last season and there will be again this season so how do you translate that into not just accepting a relatively low offer how do you then translate that into a massive offer and suddenly you've got a bit more money like you say to go out and spend in the in the transfer market sambi lakonga is a great example as well uh kieran tierney is one where i'm a little bit on the fence over how much Arsenal should be getting because obviously his injury records and he's not first choice and all those kind of things. But none of them are really first choice, I guess, as I'm just talking myself out of my own point. But those kind of things are going to
0: be... Location might be an issue. You know, with someone like Kieran Tierney, why would you... Why would you not squeeze Newcastle, for example, who are an extremely wealthy club now, despite the fact that they might spend a couple of years flirting around FFP rules before they can figure out how to do it the way Manchester City do it, perhaps? You know, <laughs> but I mean, you know, they've got money to spend. It's a big club. You know, Tierney is still in his prime years. Scottish international probably better suited to this current Newcastle team than this this current Arsenal team. You know, that's one where I think you're looking at, you know, what did Arsenal pay for Tierney? 25 million.
1: 25, yeah.
0: So you're looking like at least that back, I think, given yes, at how the long... Very
1: least. I, th- I think three years left on his deal. Again, you talk about yeah. smart retention, smart contract strategy. I think realistically, just... A f- this is ballpark guessing, this is not insight or anything, but 35 to 40 is what you want to be looking at mm. for, for that kind of situation. If you think Alex Inchenko, last year of his contract at Manchester City costs around 35 to come to Arsenal last summer, that's what you want to be looking at for Kieran Tierney. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's those are the kind of things that Arsenal will be judged on. If they do get 35 to 40 as opposed to 25 to 30, that becomes big. And um, we all make that Liverpool comparison, don't we, where players like... Dominic Solanke, Jordan Ibe, Danny Ings were moved on for 15, 20 million. Those little transfer fees helped them to be in a position where they went on to buy Alisson and Van Dijk. Obviously, it wasn't quite as simple as that. Sure, that yeah. wasn't quite as easy, but I think we can all agree that it helped Jurgen Klopp create a Champions League winning squad. And Arsenal were in a position where you know, they can't compete financially in Manchester City. They can't um, flirt with FFP, as you, as you put it so delicately there. So they're going to have to come up with different ways to, to try and sort of supplement their, their summer budget. And if they want to create a squad that is capable with competing mm. th- with the, the behemoth that is Manchester City and maintaining those standards, then you kind of need to do it in the transfer market and by spending decent fees on decent players and being able to do that, selling is a huge part of it.
0: Um, there's a whole summer ahead of us to deal with, you know, who's going to go and where they're going to go and how much they're going to go for. But there's one player this week who spoke about how we would find out what his situation was going to be this week. Uh, this was Granit Xhaka talking after the Nottingham Forest game, and he's being heavily linked with a, a move to Bayer Leverkusen. I don't think you need a, a PhD in reading between the lines to to figure out that, that this Sunday could potentially be Granit Xhaka's final game for Arsenal um, which you know on the one hand it, it, it strikes me as a little strange that having uh, enjoyed the season he has and and helped Arsenal back into the Champions League he's not going to be around next season to to play a part in that but I believe there are perhaps family reasons why he wants to go back to Germany um, how do you A. view Granit Xhaka's potential probable departure Um we're recording Thursday afternoon as yet we don't quite know it feels to me like he was basically saying i'll let people know or people will find out before the final game so he can he can say his his farewells in typical Xhaka style 30 yard screamer in the top corner red card for two-footing the ref whatever it might be um so how do you view his departure and you know in in terms of his overall contribution or his career at Arsenal, how do you think it will be viewed um, in time? Maybe not in the immediate aftermath of his departure, but how do you think people will will reflect on on Granit Xhaka down down the years?
1: I think how things end are often more important than than how things begin. So. How things have ended for Granite Xhaka, he couldn't have asked probably for, for a better ending. Maybe winning the Premier League would have been the better ending he would have wanted. Sure. But Besides that, I don't think he could have asked for a much better season to, to bow out on. When it comes to Xhaka, throughout his career, when it's, whether it's at Bayer Leverkusen, whether it's at Basel before that, and whether it's been at Arsenal, he's always been a player who has played week in, week out. He's in the first team, one of the first names on the team sheet. Now, with the the impending arrivals that are expected in the midfield this summer and Arsenal being heavily linked to players like Declan Rice, Caicedo uh, and Gundogan and, and plenty of others, that position is now under threat. And I'm not saying that he wouldn't want to compete or he wouldn't be able to compete. But for me, it seems like he's someone who wants to be playing week in, week out, as, as all Premier League footballers, as all professional footballers do. But for him... The, the contribution from the bench has never really been his his mm. thing. It's never been something he's done in his career. So being asked to do that now, when he'll probably feel he's still got a lot to give, um, only 30, um, 30, yeah, not 31. And yeah. um, very talented player still, who's found another level this season. That I don't think many thought he could. I think he's probably thinking, well, I want to go somewhere I'm guaranteed first choice and buy Leverkusen and then the new project and work into Xabi Alonso. Those seem like the, the perfect places to do that. So that's what that seems to be about for me. As for his legacy, I think he'll be remembered fondly. I think most people have come round on Granit Xhaka. Um, I think, to be fair, the, the, the PR side of things has been handled pretty masterfully. We all remember that player's tribune interview last year. And that went really well, went down really well. And that was at a stage where Xhaka, I think, was just starting to come into the the good books of the Arsenal fans after a couple of red cards early in the season. I think he started to win people back round. I think the Amazon documentary was probably really good for him in the sense that it showed him in a positive light and it allowed him to control the narrative. And I also think that he seems to have, have added something to his game that, that none of us could have expected. And mm. I think... We all now see an importance in Granite jacker and whereas before a lot of the conversations were um how do we replace him sort of with the context of how do we we need to get better? We can't just be settling for that. Now it's how do we replace him with God, he's so good, how do we fill what he's he's you know, the hole he's leaving in the team? And that's a big transition. And that's 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 really impressive that he's been able to do that in the final season. And I don't think anyone saw it coming and yeah, he's 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 risen to every task Mikhail Arteta has set him. Last season, last summer, sorry, they had a conversation and Arteta basically said, I need more from my eights, if you like. I need more goals. I need more attacking contribution. And Jackers and has, has answered that call with bells on. I think seven goals and seven assists. So I think Arsenal will feel that maybe age-wise they'll want to prepare for it and maybe there's a world in which they would have liked to have probably kept him especially with the champions league next season and keeping the levels of the squad high but i don't think jacker strikes me as a guy who would want to be playing 20 25 games a season as a starter i think he wants to be starting 40 50 instead and maybe leverkusen gave him more of an option to do that and I'm hoping he'll get the send-off he deserves on on Sunday. I can I can picture a, a similar moment to what Arteta had in his final game where, you know, he was, I think he stood in the centre-circle of the Emirates, he was in tears as, as sort of the whole crowd gave him a massive round of applause and I'm hoping that mm. Xhaka gets something similar because I think he does deserve it for everything he's been through and I think most Arsenal fans would want to give him that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you could probably write a a pretty decent book on his time at Arsenal, the the ups and downs and highs and lows. And, you know, he's been a a very frustrating player at times. What strikes me is that, you know, throughout his time at Arsenal, I'm not trying to say that he has been um, without fault because I think, you know, clearly there have been moments where, um, you know, he hasn't quite done uh, things the way he should have. But from a playing perspective, as soon as the level of the team improved or rose, he was able to rise with it. And maybe some of the frustrations that he felt during his time at the club, which were perhaps evident in some of the the moments that he was involved in, were born out of a kind of frustration that the team wasn't at the level that he knew he could. Possibly be at, you know. Um, I think it's an interesting way to look at it. Maybe people won't agree, um, but hopefully, if it is his final game on uh, on Sunday, he does get a good reception because I think his contribution this season has been has been excellent, and I think it just shows that you know that conversation, like you say about how well, in order to improve, we need to improve on Granit Xhaka. I think it's still true because the level has risen, you can see how that might be really beneficial to a team that if you get somebody in that 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 fabled left eight position who can now give you more than seven goals and seven assists, which is still a very nice contribution, you know, that, that goes some way to helping you get better next season as well. Yes, yes, totally
1: agreed. It's interesting to think, is Declan Rice that guy uh, in terms of, because that seems to be you know a player arsenal are targeting and mm. well it is a player arsenal are targeting and we don't quite know whether it's as a 6 or if it's as an 8 but it, is he going to be the guy who can come in and replicate Jack's attacking contribution i guess there's questions that need answering there but um someone like a who's been heavily linked this week he definitely would i think be able to to replicate and probably go one better than than Jack's attacking contribution but that is where Arteta wants to to drag the team it's where he wants he wants arsenal to be a team that uh causing opposition teams uh, a manner of problems from all areas of the pitch, not just having to rely on that right-hand side where Saka and Erdegaard are so good and sort of up front where Jesus and Martinelli on the left can can combine. He wants those runs from deep. He wants to be able to break teams down through the middle as well. And mm. and Jack has been a huge part of that this season. When he's been on his best form, those runs late into the box have been impossible to stop. And yeah, it's a weird one because I think Arsenal are in a position where they look like a worse team without him. But like you say, they probably feel that they can become a better team without him now sure. by bringing someone in. So it's an interesting dichotomy. And it's, it, I think it's Arsenal have had a, a problem with holding on to players for too long in the past. And it does seem like maybe they're, they're moving on from that. And I'm not saying that Xhaka's time has come or anything like that, but they're being a bit more ruthless, a bit more cutthroat when it comes to moving players on at the right time. And I think that's that's definitely a positive step in the right direction.
0: You mentioned Declan Rice, and he is clearly a very strong target for Arsenal. I suppose the reality of trying to sign an established England international, who many other clubs would like to sign because he's a very good player, you know, when you're at the top of the table, um, you know, the, there's a, a smaller pool of players that you can choose from that will help you get better. Therefore you're going to be in direct competition with, with other clubs. And this week, you know, how much of this is true? How much of it is agent speak? How much of it is West Ham putting stuff out there? You know, y- your mileage might vary. There's all kinds of variables when it comes to, to transfers and transfer stories, but Declan Rice linked with Bayern Munich, Bayern really want him. Thomas Tuchel loves him, wants him to be the six, all this sort of stuff today. Today, Manchester United's three main targets are Mason Mount, Declan Rice, and some other guy. I can't remember who it was, um, and I don't care. But, you know, what advice do you have for Arsenal fans who are living precariously uh, as it is? The market isn't even open. You know, this is what we're going to have to contend with when we're after big players like Declan Rice, like Moises Caicedo who are going to be very very attractive to other teams you're not necessarily going to get a free run at them and you're going to have to you're going to have to deal with all this press speculation and all these other stories because that's also the nature of the media beast that we exist in as well
1: yes i Personally, I'm not the world's biggest fan of the transfer window. I, I just don't enjoy the the speculation, like you say, that, that is, we have to produce a lot of the time. But also, the reality of the situation is, if you want the best players, the best teams are going to be after them. Arsenal aren't the only player who need. Uh, sorry, Arsenal aren't the only team who need a midfielder this yeah. summer. Chelsea need one. Man United need one. Bayern Munich, I hadn't even heard there's Declan Rice Bayern Munich rumours, but they need one. Um, even Man City, if, if Gundogan ends up leaving, they'll need one. So, lots of teams want to improve, and there's there's only, like you say, a, a small pool of players who can take teams to the next level. Um, what I would say to to people who are going through existential crises about the, <laughs> uh, the idea of Arsenal not signing Declan Rice is Arsenal have shown in the past, and Eddie's been very good at planning transfer windows, that they have more than one target for every position. So we look at the January window where we were having these same conversations about Mikhailo Mudrik, and this isn't a case of being after the fact that Mudrik hasn't done that well in his first half of season at Chelsea. But Arsenal obviously were very high profile in the way they were chasing Mudrik, but they also had Trossard as a, 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 not a second choice target, if you like, but another player they were looking at. An alternative, so, yeah. yeah. an alternative, exactly. And the same was with Jorginho instead of Moises Caicedo. So arsenal it won't be a case of Declan Rice or bust for Arsenal this summer. Of course, he's a fantastic player. Of course, he's someone who would improve the Arsenal midfield. And of course, he's someone who I think we'd all love to see in an Arsenal shirt at the Emirates Stadium next season. But Arsenal have shown, and again, we, we go back to reputation and all that kind of stuff. They've shown to be smart operators in the transfer market, and they've shown that They won't overpay for players. They want to try and avoid being drawn into bidding wars. And they also have plenty of other targets who they feel that they can go and get done and get over the line. So, yeah, to people panicking. And listen, it's it's going to be a reality until Declan Rice commits his future to another team that every other day there's going to be a story about how he's interested another team are interested in him because he's a very good player but for people who are worried about that Arsenal won't be going into this naive to the fact that other teams are interested in Declan Rice they will be mm. very I think practical about the situation and they will understand that other players uh, sorry other players will be available and there'll be other targets that they'll be looking at
0: Like I said, there's a whole summer of that to come and we will, of course, uh, cover as much as we possibly can in as much detail as we can and filtering out as much of the bullshit as we can because there is an awful lot of that out there. There was um, an interesting piece on the official Arsenal website this week, uh, Mikel Arteta reflecting on the season, and there are a couple of bits that, that stood out to me. One was talking about the Manchester City game away from home, which came after uh, the three successive draws, and he talked about going to Anfield and being two 0 up. You've got to, you've got to win. Uh, West Ham two 0 up. You've got to win. Southampton, you give them two goals, and you have to climb a mountain. Uh, and then he said the fourth game against Manchester City becomes crucial. He said they were much better than us. They raised the level like they did against Real Madrid the other day. Um. Which I think you know is quite an interesting comparison because I didn't see Real Madrid getting the pelters that that Arsenal did after that game. But of course, it's a different it's a different media landscape, I suppose. Uh, and he said we could not reach the level. Um, he said psychologically that paid a big price on the team. What do you think he meant by that exactly? Just the sort of uh, like a reality check
1: yeah possibly i think maybe arsenal have been really good this season at overcoming inferiority complexes so i genuinely don't think apart from the etihad they fear going anywhere and i think you can expand that into europe as well so next season if they do end up going to real madrid Bayern munich barcelona wherever i think they'll be confident they can come away with a win the the one that they hadn't managed to get over the one hurdle that still remains standing was the etihad and I think a defeat as chastening as that, as one-sided as that, as humiliating as that, where there essentially is only one team on the pitch, that sets you back. And that seems to me what Arteta's is talking about in terms of the price. And I think he thinks he's very clear on the psychological aspect of the game and those marginal gains and all those kind of things. Because when you look on paper, if Arsenal have their best 11 out in Manchester City, they have their best 11 out. It's a pretty good game. It's a pretty even game. Mm. But if Arsenal go into that game with those same 11 players thinking, oh my God, we're at the Etihad. We lost 4-1 here last year. Our title dreams came crumbling down. Then suddenly that becomes a much bigger issue. And I think that's why everyone thought when Arsenal went to Newcastle, uh, a couple of games after, everyone thought Arsenal were going to lose that game because they were traumatised from the season before. And that, I guess, was the price they had to pay then. So I think that's probably what he's referring to when it comes to the psychological battle and if Arsenal are going to be in a title race next season, the chances are it's going to be with Manchester City again and maybe another team. But Manchester City will certainly be up there and getting to that final stage of the season, it will now be a case of do Arsenal think, right, we've been here before, we know what to do or will it be a case of, oh my God, they're behind our shoulders, we need to, you know, buck up and stop sort of, uh, they start overthinking everything and start Mm. sort of trying to Force things that came naturally earlier in the season. And that is what struck me as happening earlier this season. So, yeah, I think that's a, maybe what he was talking about when it comes to the price.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've read things this season. Like you, you mentioned the Newcastle game. And before, I thought it was so interesting the way before that game he was saying, this is not about revenge. We you know, we're not here for revenge. Absolutely not. I've never watched the Amazon documentary. And like within two minutes of the final whistle, Aaron Ramsdale's on on Sky Sports saying, Yeah, he showed us a clip from the Amazon documentary where he went crazy <laughs> in the in the dressing room after the Newcastle game and Arteta was saying, Yeah, the players were out there. There was a real desire for revenge today. Um you know stories. I think it was Sam Dean writing in the Telegraph about this little exercise he did before the before the North London Derby to relax the players, hiding coins and they hit cameras and all that kind of stuff. Which you know is is they're good anecdotes, right? Um, the the reason I think Arsenal beat Tottenham in the North London Derby earlier in the season was because you know they they knew what. Uh, Tottenham's tactics were going to be they played them brilliantly they scored the goals that they needed to score and Tottenham were terrible on the day because Arsenal were really good but those psychological little bits and bobs those I don't want to call them tricks are also part of you know, how you relax a group or how you make a group believe in something. And, and the big one next season, I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to have to, like, hide the Empire State Building or something to, to, <laughs> to, to tell these players that, look, you can, you can beat Manchester City. I know you haven't, uh, and you've come close maybe a couple of times, but, you know, you have to believe that you can Um you know, part of it, of course, is having your full team out. You know, if it's a it's a different game, maybe if William Saliba is there uh, instead of Rob Holding, which isn't to put it all on Rob Holding, but you know, when Arsenal's best eleven is out there, it's a more difficult job for Manchester City. But but trying to sort of focus on those psychological aspects as well as all the tactical and preparation and organizational things that go into into a game, you know, he's going to have to keep innovating. Is not the maybe the right word, but but coming up with new shit. Yeah, um,
1: <laughs> very articulately put. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah, the the word you mentioned there uh, a lot, and it's the word I totally believe it, uh, agree with, sorry, is belief. I think that is the, the biggest thing that Arsenal need to have going into a game at the Etihad. And a game against Manchester City in general, we all remember that New Year's Day game uh, yeah. last season, where no one really gave Arsenal hope in hell of winning that because Manchester City were a way off. They were, they were you know, coasting towards another Premier League. They were, Arsenal were sort of trying to come back in the top four race. And I don't think anyone, even though Arsenal had, I think, beaten Norwich 5-0 the, the game before, I don't think anyone suddenly thought, well, wow, they beat beaten Norwich, therefore they're going to go and beat Manchester City. What it was was Arsenal went into that game and I think this was and I've spoken to people in the in the club who sort of share this theory as well. And it's it was sort of a case of this being the, the first kind of big game they'd gone into. And they'd had sort of moments like against Liverpool and Anfield in that game they lost 4-0 where for the first 40 minutes they'd gone toe-to-toe with Liverpool and played quite well this was another one where they went up against Manchester City and they didn't think how do we adapt to them they thought how do they adapt to us what can we do to hurt them rather than what can we do to avoid being hurt by them sure. and at the Etihad this season I, I watched those players walk out and it didn't look like they they thought they could hurt man City. It didn't look like they thought they could they could really cause them some damage instead it it looked like they were thinking and I thought this a lot with rob holdings performance and, and like you say, I don't want to, to to dig into him too much or you know uh dig up old Grays and those kind of things. but he didn't look like someone who thought I can beat Erling Haaland in a one on one duel here he thought he he looked sorry like someone who thought what can i do to stop him being you know as, as dangerous and i think that that played into a lot of the decisions he made a lot of the times where he stepped up when he shouldn't have when he mm. got too tight to hull and when he shouldn't have those kind of things and i think that maybe spread throughout the team and i don't think they ever thought they could win that game and that's probably why they lost it um that's the reality of the situation and i think that's probably arsenal's bigger disappointment from the way this title race has ended is that instead of I guess, going into those games and, and giving City a good run for their money. What they ended up doing instead was sort of, I guess, I don't want to say bottling or any of those words, but I guess a little bit of wilting under the pressure and losing belief in what they've been doing. And yeah, that's, that's the the big frustration. And it's fine margins. If you look back to Bukayo Saka's penalty against West Ham, if that goes in, probably they then have the belief to go on and comfortably beat Southampton. And then they're going into the City game thinking, yeah, we can definitely do this. We're Arsenal. We've shown what we can do all season. But that's that those things are going to go against you across the course of a season and yeah Arteta is going to have to come up with some some novel motivational techniques to to get the team going but I think he's he's pretty good at it he's he's clearly very driven yeah he's clearly constantly thinking about that he reads every psychological management book under the sun and that's constantly what's on his mind so he's constantly thinking how do i get the best out of these players and that's what drives him to succeed and he's constantly talking about how him and his coaching staff have never ever come across a player who has reached their full potential and what drives him as a manager is to help players achieve their full potential so he's constantly coming up with ways to do that and i'm sure we'll hear about some new sort of <laughs> techniques that if they if they lose they'll be classed as david brent if they win they'll be classed as managerial genius so it's 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 going to be fun seeing those stories come out next no year.
0: i agree i i think the, the the psychological aspect of of how you improve is is really fascinating you know the the way you can use bad experiences to motivate yourself to do better the way that you can just literally learn from things that didn't go right in a season and this is this is just the final thing that i was going to talk to you about where where arteta you know said we have to be really smart he talked to you we have to be faster more determined and ruthless like clearly when the season ends when the dust settles There'll be a little bit of time, maybe. Who knows? He might go on a little bit of a holiday, but I'm sure during that holiday, he's going to be thinking very clearly about you know, the season. But there will be an analysis of what went right, what went wrong, how do we improve, um, and putting those plans in place. I mean, I'm sure most of them are there already, but that is going to be part of how Arsenal get better next season, is taking the experiences that hurt the most and ensuring that they don't happen again, or, or if they do, they're less frequent. Like, you know, those little periods, uh, under Arteta where Arsenal would lose a game and then lose a game and then lose a game. And then we get back to winning ways. We'd have these little trios of defeats along the way. Um, maybe you could say that this season until maybe the last couple of games, which, you know, have their own dynamic, you know, there were periods where they were draws. We didn't lose three; we drew three. It was three draws that hurt Arsenal this season. So while that can't, it won't convince too many people that that's massive progress. It kind of is in its own way because you're 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 lessening the impact of the periods in the season when you're not quite at your best.
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting in all this talk about bottling it and sort of falling apart. Arsenal only actually lost probably actually lost one game that they probably should have won and Manchester City, uh, sorry, uh, Nottingham Forest was that game. Like that—that That is the, the reality of the team you're up against is draws are punished now and, you know, only wins will do. But it's interesting you, you talk about using this season's pain and uh, we, we spoke to Aaron Ramsdale in the mix zone um, after a game, I can't remember which game it was, but it was about a month or two ago. And he was talking about how missing out on the top four last season, he thought, had motivated the team to go on and do what they've done this season and you look at the the Liverpool comparison um, they had that season where I think they got 97 points and came second the next season they won I think 23 out of the first 24 it was something silly like that and that's the standards that Arsenal will be wanting to set and I don't think any of those players will be satisfied with with anything less so that's what they're looking to achieve next season. Of course, it's not going to be easy. And of course, the rest of the Premier League is going to get so much better and things that have happened this season won't be there. So you would think that Manchester United are going to improve. Newcastle are probably going to improve. Chelsea can't be as bad as they have been this season, as much as we'd all like them to be. Uh, (laughs) Same for Spurs. So those, those things are going to be there and those are going to be new challenges. And, there's going to be issues that Arsenal are going to have to overcome. But yeah, motivational wise next season, I think what's happened to them this season is going to be huge. And uh, the experience of being in title run-in will be huge. All these players will be thinking right when they get to the final stage, they'll be thinking, you'd like to think we've been here before. We know exactly what we need to do. Maybe this time we don't go as high when we get high and as low when we get low but you've seen that in the way they've back bounced back from adversity for the most part of this season like you mentioned those those losses weren't two three four losses in a row they're now coming back and, and getting points from those games and and that's a massive improvement so i think yeah the the signs are all positive it, it's it's a weird time to be having these kind of conversations and I think from the outside people really struggle with the idea of putting a positive spin on this Arsenal season because of the way it's ended but I think watching the club week in, week out as, as we all do and, and being quite close to the club we can all see that things are moving in the right direction and I think that's why there's there's not really that much discontent with the way this season has ended among the fan base because people can see they're not fools you can't fool the fan base, they they can see that things are going in the right direction and I think that they're going to get hopefully even better next season. Who knows if they'll, if they'll translate into to winning a Premier League. But I do think that that's going to be something that they use and they fuel themselves going into next year for sure.
0: Fingers crossed. And uh, just uh, I'd like to make it clear that I have every confidence that Tottenham can be even worse than they were this year, just to sort of, <laughs> you know, not to disagree with you right at the end. Listen, Kaya, brilliant to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed to Kaya. You can find him on Twitter. He is at KayaKainak97, at kaya KayaKainak97. And he writes about Arsenal for Football London. So that is basically that for the last Arscast of the 2022-23 season. I do hope you've enjoyed it. I don't just mean this episode, but all the episodes that we have had from August through until the end of May. We will, of course, keep chugging along during the summer. We've got a lot of post-season stuff to get through, of course. We'll have an ArsCast Extra with James on Monday. I'm going to be in London. For the weekend, it's not one of Gary Neville's mini retirements. Don't worry, I'm just there to see the game and of course do our live podcast on Saturday night. I'm back in Dublin on Monday afternoon and we will record the ArsCast Extra for you then. We'll have our final Premier League preview podcast of the season for you over on Patreon, by the way. Myself and Lewis will look ahead to the game against Wolves. We'll probably just talk about a load of stuff and then spend a few minutes talking about Wolves, which given the stakes at hand in that There aren't any really is probably the best way to go about it. But you can join us over on Patreon for that. Patreon.com forward slash arsblog. And as I said to you, we are going to have some post-season stuff on the podcast. Uh, We'll do a player ratings podcast. We'll do a season review podcast and all the usual bits and pieces uh, that you would come to expect. Stick with us during the summer when clearly we'll talk about transfers and outgoings and incomings and all that kind of stuff. For now, though, thanks again. For being here. Hopefully, see a few of you over the weekend in London in some of the usual places, if not at Union Chapel, maybe in the Tollington, maybe afterwards as well for a pint or two. For now, take it easy, folks, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers, bye bye. Yeah, we've got an email here from a listener who writes in and says, Hey, how are you, Brett Pog Guy, So bloody awesome. Let me tell you something, listener. I was not always this awesome. I was only just a little bit awesome until I started this podcast. My mission... Was to eat the world I get up every morning at half past five And I say Yum, 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 I am gonna eat the world By the time you've got up and had your breakfast I've consumed Scandinavia While you're commuting to the office I'm chowing down on Antarctica And while you're taking your lunch break I've got South America medium rare On my plate With a side of the South Island of New Zealand Do I see my kids? Very rarely Am I hungry for love? I don't have time to be hungry for love when I am trying to eat the world to find out how you too can eat the world and not just my leftovers, subscribe to these world-class conversations and buy a product from one of our sponsors. Speaking of which, today's show is brought to you by Swift Kitchens and A ModestProposal.com. If you don't have time to prepare meals for your family, well, we can do all the heavy lifting. May involve transportation of human body parts.